Hey, Merry Christmas. <sighs> it's good to see you all. Let me, t- let me tell you a story about last month. I'm going to tell you a story about last month. Last month, I was at this park. And this guy comes, and he brings a basketball, and he's getting ready to shoot around at, at this park, right? And it's kind of a new park. It's cool. It's got, like, the, you know the rims that go up and down? You know what I'm talking about? One person, yes. It has those rims that you can uh, make higher or lower. And he starts shooting around. He's probably my age. He's probably like, you know, 40 or so. He was taller than me, a little better looking than me. Uh, I took notice very quickly. And I was like, I like this guy. Um, and so while he's shooting around, uh, another group comes in. And it's a group of about like maybe four or five. They look to be like second or third graders, maybe like that age. And, uh, and uh, they came in with their dad or whoever this person was taking care of them. And so their dad sat next to me, and, and they start playing basketball, right? And then one of the, the little kids, uh, like one of these second and third graders, they say to the, the guy shooting around, they say, hey, do you want to play with us? And that guy goes, yeah, big mistake. And I'll tell you why. Because that dude was just ruthless. Ruthless. Like every shot they tried to put up, he would block it. He was like, he was like dunking on them, like with impunity. Like just like, they, like they played two games. They won the first game. Uh, the guy won the first game 15-0. Like just like the kids didn't even have a shot, a prayer. And then like the second game, the guy won 15-1, but only because this little girl did like this really cool like reverse layup that went in. And I was impressed by it. Um, and how absurd is that story I just told you? How absurd. It's pretty absurd, right? Right? Because who in their right mind would exert that much power, right, over, over people who are weaker and more vulnerable? Who would do that? And yet, and yet, we love that idea of power. We love power. In fact, we love the idea of exerting power over those who are weaker. In fact, as a country, we greatly enjoy exerting power and calling ourselves the greatest, right? We absolutely love that. And so even though we hear a story like that and we go, oh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The truth of the matter is we are brought up to believe that power is all about currency and currency is power. That's the truth of the matter. In fact, um, uh, you know, I say this all the time. I preach on this all the time. I'm not going to stop preaching on it because I think it's really interesting. But there are 12 species, 12 species that live in tribes. Human beings are one of those species. Now, 11 of those species, when there are enemies, they'll fight their enemies. But when there are no enemies, they live in harmony. There is one species who, when there are no enemies, will make up enemies. Guess what species that is? Y'all want to know? It ain't bees. It's us, human beings. And do you know why we do that as human beings? We do that as human beings because the truth of the matter is we want to create an enemy because we want to exert power over another. That's the truth of the matter. It's what we want to do. It's the reason that our defense budget is so high, like so ridiculously high, which I get it. We've got to protect ourselves in some way. But the fact that it's, you know, literally tens of times greater than anybody else in the world, that should say something about what we believe about power in this place. Now, listen, we're not exempt from power either. None of us are. Okay, we love the idea uh, of people getting revenge, right? Because that's an exertion of power. We love it when on social media there's somebody who says like, um, like, oh, look at what this person did. I'm dead. And like there's a picture of skull and crossbones. Like we <laughs> click on that one, right? Because we're like, wow, that person exerted power with somebody else and that went viral, right? We like the idea of power. Now, with that story, you know what story we'd like? We'd like it if those second and third grade kids really gave it to that guy, right? We would like that story because we like power. We like when the underdogs get power, but we like power. Reminds me of this Christmas story that I'm going to read to us. It says this, But you, Bethlehem, 
Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. Now, who was here last week when I talked about King Herod? Okay, a few of you. King Herod was this powerful, powerful king. He was a provincial king in, as part of the Roman Empire. Provincial king. Okay, so basically Caesar was his boss, and he had this section of land that he had to make sure he ruled tightly. Okay? And so what happens is, is this guy loves his power. He loves it so much that he has three sons, he kills two of them because he's afraid they're going to take over. Right? That's how much this guy loved his power. And then he hears that there is a new king being born. So what does he do? Gathers all of his advisors together. He says to his advisors, you know, have you heard anything about this king? And they say, like, listen, prophets have talked about this king for hundreds of years. And he goes, well, where, where, where is this king going to be? And the advisors go, he's, he's going to be in Bethlehem. And he goes, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. And the advisors go, it gets worse, because listen to what this king's going to do. It says this, the remnant of Jacob will be among the nations and in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes, and no one can rescue your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies and all your foes will be destroyed. And Herod hears this and he's like, this is not good news. I'm going to lose my power. And then on the other hand, you have the people of Israel. And they're the ones who have been blocked and dunked on with impunity for years upon years upon years. And they're like, oh, it's our time to be powerful now. Right? So what does Herod do? It's this battle over power. Well, he sends some advisors over to take a look at this new king. Y'all, we keep these advisors in our homes every single Christmas season. You know who they were? They were the wise men, right? So he sends his advisors. The wise men go and they go, oh, wait a second. This king, it's different. This isn't, this isn't exerting power. This isn't exerting power over someone more vulnerable, someone weaker. This isn't maintaining power through violence. This is this is life-altering. We can't go back to Herod, because Herod won't understand this kind of power. And so they take a different way home. Don't show up. And so Herod goes, I guess I've got to take this into my own hands. So he goes to Bethlehem, or he sends soldiers to Bethlehem, and he has the soldiers in Bethlehem kill every male child between the ages of zero and two. Now here's the thing about that. Bethlehem was not very big, so we don't know how many kids there were. In fact, history doesn't tell us, because uh, it probably was a small a small genocide, as it were be. But the thing that strikes me about Herod is that what Herod did was perfectly legal. What Herod did was what he was supposed to do when you live in an empire. What he did is the correct thing. You see, those people were going to usurp the king. And if you're going to usurp the king, that goes against the empire, which means it breaks the law. And how many times do we say, well, they broke the law? And we say they broke the law, and they should get what they deserve, right? And sometimes breaking the law, there's a whole different story behind it, isn't there? And sometimes following the law is a whole lot worse. What Herod did was follow the law. He exerted his power used his empire power to make sure that no one else could come forward. That's what he did. And y'all, I identify with Herod. This Christmas season, I identify with wanting the upper hand. This Christmas season, I identify with wanting to show that I have more than maybe the next person. This Christmas season, I'm competitive enough to where I want to block shots. And I want to dunk with impunity. And yet, 
there's really, really good news. There's really, in fact, I bet we're all here because of this really, really good news, right? We're here because what's really going on today, what's really going on today is that God is changing the narrative on power. That is what's really going on today. Because when Jesus is born, Jesus doesn't come mighty like a lion ready to slaughter everyone. Jesus doesn't come that way at all. In fact, Jesus comes to withhold power so that others are brought into inclusion and grace and acceptance and unity. And Jesus doesn't look like division. There are no walls being built. What Jesus looks like are walls coming down in a way where people who have always been told that they're on the outside are now on the inside. That's good news, right? And and Jesus isn't coming in the form of like a 40-something-year-old white patriarchal person, right? Jesus is coming in the form of mother who says that in tender ways that you are cared for, you are loved, you are whole, even when you don't believe it. See, power is being turned on its head through this kind of service. Power is being turned on its head through the Christmas season. Power is being turned on its head because we have a new king, and that king is Jesus Christ. And so the thing I have to ask us, so the thing I want to tell us today is so important that I'm going to read it for you. To be alive, to be alive in the adventure of Jesus is to side with the vulnerable in defiance of those who see them as expendable. And to be alive in the adventure of Jesus Christ is to withhold consent and cooperation with those who work to exert and usurp power and invest that energy in lifting up the most vulnerable. That's what it means to be a celebratory Christmas. That's what it means to have a celebratory Christmas. This is it, right? And it's good news. So can we do it? Can we practice flipping power on its head? Just like Jesus Christ did. What will we do to flip power? What will we do to embody this Christmas? What will you do today that lifts another up? What will you do today that that allows you to identify the weak? What will you do today to give power that you have to others? What are you going to do today that embodies the story of Jesus' true birth? What are you going to do? I lied about that story with basketball. <laughs> I went there, and there was a guy playing, and kids did come in and play. But when the kids came in and played, they said, can we play with you? And the guy said, yes. Oh, that's true. And then the guy lowered the hoop, brought the kids closer, allowed them to shoot, allowed them to score. And when the kids said, let's play a game, who do you think won? The kids. You know Why? Because that guy gets what God is trying to do this Christmas season, that it's not about exerting power. It's about shifting the entire paradigm in the whole world by withholding so that others can flourish. Can we do that this holiday season? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask us to pray this prayer. I'll pray it out loud for us, but I ask you to embody this prayer. God, let's take great joy in the fact that you are not the one who exerts your power at our expense. But God, we rejoice and we thank you because Jesus' birth shows us that you hear the cries of the weak, that you come near and you bring comfort, you feel pain and you heal others. So God, this Christmas season, may you help us to withhold our power, give our power when necessary, And bring comfort in all we do. And in doing so, God, use us to usher in the most beautiful story ever told. This Christmas story. The story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Amen.